Welcome to Brand Appeal, where we're talking about brand storytelling in the digital age. I'm your host, Shannon Peel, and today I talk with Scott Edwards and had a blast. Hard not to laugh when you've got Scott Edwards on your podcast. Scott is a professional MC who had a career on the fringes of the comedy industry where he booked big names throughout the 80s and 90s for his nightclubs and comedy shows. In this episode, we touched on everything from comedy to family to politics to, of course, branding. We had to talk about branding and storytelling and how important it is to tell a story in comedy. So listener, if you enjoy comedy, keep listening to today's episode. Scott, thank you so much for joining me here today on Brand Appeal. And I have one question for you. Yes. What would you like to be known for? I would like to be known as the guy that brought a little moment of cheer and laughter into your life. Uh, It's been proven that uh, having some humor and laughter in your life extends your life. It's healthy. It releases endorphins. And so my job is to share some of that with the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Well, I think you're doing a great job because you have made me laugh and we've only been talking maybe two minutes. So this is wonderful. (laughs) It's always a fix for better podcasts when we have that energy because all we have is our voice. Right. Well, and it's also, it's uh, much like stand-up comedy. It's a shared experience. Mm-hmm. So if you have somebody going out that's kind of uh, negative or moody or, or downtrodden, that's the same attitude the audience takes on. And so I've always, as a producer, liked working with the more upbeat entertainment formats. And in stand-up comedy, it would be the high energy guys, but there's also comic magicians and comic jugglers and impressionists and uh, ventriloquists and all these different variables in the entertainment world that by adding to what the what's already a comedy base, you're making it that much more interesting for the audience and it brings them in and it engages them more, you know, shiny objects. <laughs> Do you have shiny object syndrome, Scott? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Squirrel. <laughs> I got to tell you, positive is not a word a lot of people associate with me. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. So I think I might just be in a little bit of trouble here. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, it's it, it it does make a difference on, you know, I've been told by my bride that I have a negative personality at times and I don't see it or feel it. But I understand where she's coming from because she hears it. (laughs) But for me, I I think it's important to try to find the fun, the good in situations. And life is is a roller coaster. It's up Mm -hmm. and down. But I think that everybody in every book you read will tell you it's how you deal with those ups and downs that is uh, a mirror of who you are. You work in a very fascinating industry. You know, many young men want to be a comedian or be a stand-up comedian at least once in their life. And you get to interact with these guys. So tell the world, tell my listeners exactly what it is that you do. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm a producer of entertainment shows. I've done three TV series, several uh, large concerts. I owned a chain of three comedy clubs back in the 80s and 90s. 
and was able to introduce to the world uh, comics like Jerry Seinfeld, Jay Leno, uh, Robin Williams, Ray Romano, uh, Dana Carvey, Paula Poundstone, uh, Lois Bromfield, I can go on and on. Uh, just about everybody had a chance to work for me. And um, my clubs were what's called A Rooms, which is the quality of comedy right before somebody might end up in Vegas or Tahoe or maybe get a sitcom or uh, one guy went on to write movie scripts and uh, Ed Solomon, very talented guy, wrote uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and all the Men in Black series. Wow. And so stand up comedy uh, can be its own career, but it also leads to a lot of careers. Uh, in the case of uh, Paul Reiser and Ray Romano, it led to TV series. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld and Jay Leno, of course, had huge success in their own careers and they're back out doing stand up comedy. But um, being in that industry has afforded me an opportunity to not only help develop, but also interact with uh, some really talented, funny people. You go to work and you get to laugh. Right. And I ran nightclubs and restaurants and those aren't easy. There's no. always a lot of uh, headaches with customers and staff and, and sometimes even the entertainers, but it was at least balanced by the fact that each and every night, talented people were going on stage and not only making uh, an audience of 100 to 200 people uh, laughing and, and uh, get engaged in their comedy, but the club owner was enjoying the shows as well. And uh, I felt like I was very blessed that I had all that time. Now that was, uh, I sold my clubs in 2001. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them, the main club is still operating today. So when I opened it, it was the 12th club in the entire uh, US that was doing all comedy. And now at over 40 years, it is one of the oldest clubs still surviving in the comedy industry. Um, but I personally shifted over. Now I do fundraisers and special events. And of course, I have a podcast. Do you miss the, the nightclub life? Yes and no. I miss interacting with the people. Uh, I don't miss uh, sometimes dealing with what restaurateurs and club owners have to deal with, yeah. as I mentioned earlier, the staffing and, and disruptive customers, there's always headaches or landlords and, and there's all kinds of business aspects that are difficult. But the entertainment side, I definitely miss the people. I miss sharing the comedy with the audience. However, as a producer of fundraisers, there's still about six, seven shows a year. In fact, this Friday, I'm doing a sold out show in Placerville, California as a fundraiser for MORE, which is a um, Placerville Adult uh, Rehabilitation Center. And this will be the sixth year and we've raised literally hundreds of thousands of dollars for them. Wow. And it's a comedy show or? Yeah, they, <laughs> they hire me as a producer. I bring in uh, lights, staging and sound, and then I bring in entertainers. Uh, this Friday, we have a very funny and talented uh, comic out of Seattle, Washington, and his name's Kermit Apio. He's a Hawaiian background and has some very funny humor. The feature act is a very talented comic magician. In fact, he was comic magician of the year in 2019. His name's Larry Wilson. And then opening the show, one of our local favorites, very talented Jim Farrell. So these three acts and me as the MC make up the entertainment. Well, I think that is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it will be. It's every year. It's a lot of fun. And because of my 
40 plus years on the fringe of show business, I know the right people to bring in. It's always good, clean comedy and, uh, and lots of fun for everybody. It is who you know. Well, definitely. But just like in business, like with you, when it comes to branding and marketing, if you can build relationships with a local paper or radio station, uh, when I owned my comedy clubs, I got in really strong with the local radio stations. And then when I wanted to do something like a full size billboard, and I don't know what it cost today, but back then it was $10,000 a month for yeah. a billboard. So what I would do is go to the radio station and they would give me $5,000 worth of free airtime if I just put their name on the billboard. Mm -hmm. So I was able to double, almost double my money by and get some extra promotion because I took that 5,000 and bought radio ads on their higher end shows. So that kind of uh, marketing that uh, can really put somebody on the map. Yes. And I like how you, you utilized relationships in, in trade. Back when I was selling advertising, we call that trade. Right. And, you know, you, we would sell ads and get free haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to branding and marketing, any small business, and I've opened over a 12 companies in my lifetime, um, kind of a serial entrepreneur, the key to me is I never had a ton of money. So you have to be creative on how you're going to spread the word about your business and utilizing shared advertising or trade. I like old school guerrilla marketing. You know, I'll put out flyers or pass out cards or free tickets, things to get butts in the seats. Um, those things, when you don't have $50,000, $100,000 budget for advertising can really make a difference. Events have changed in the last few years. I don't know why. There's this flu virus thing going uh, around. I don't know. Well, you know, I'm in Canada, so we're still not 100%. Free. Yeah, my uh, son, my godson lives in uh, Canada, and he's been struggling with the, it's it's pretty tight here in the U.S., but it's even a little worse in uh, Canada. Um, but I, it's starting to loosen up. He told us we could come visit soon. Yes, yeah, soon. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No, it's not as bad as it was. So you got to go to the, when you go to the restaurant, you got to take your passport and your ID. That's all. You just have to remember that you have to prove that you've clicked the vaccination and that you are who you say you are. Yeah. Um, well, at least the government dropped the idea of having to tattoo us all with our uh, uh, vaccine status. Yeah. It's yeah. a little crazy, but uh, you know, the pendulum swings both ways. We went off a little strong on this stuff. And and I think it was proven that uh, uh, the government may be overstepped a little and damaged the countries, both Canada and the US a little bit by overreacting to uh, the virus. And we'll see, you know, they're, they're saying it's going to come back around. Hopefully, they'll be a little wiser and a little smarter this time. We'll see. Well, the fun thing is, there is a video out there about the Spanish flu in 1918 and how the world got over it and what happened in that time. Now, he made that video in March of 2020, March of May, anyway, somewhere in the beginning of 20, the, this whole thing. He could have been talking about the COVID virus. Oh, right, the right. The exact same thing pretty much happened. Yeah, the, the virus came on strong. It killed a lot of people in the beginning. The government tended to uh, overreact a little bit. But just like anything else that comes up in life, you get through it. But it's not just that. It's There was the four waves. The fourth oh. wave wasn't, uh, I mean, it was highly, previous ones, right? it was highly contagious, but it wasn't deadly. People had problems with masks. People pushed back. 
There were people who were get vaccinated or not get vaccinated. There were contraptions that people would try that were like actually caused more damage than not. I mean, it was just all of the stuff. I'm sitting watching this going, we just did the exact same thing again. Let's talk about the future of events because speakers need to come to do their speaking things and they want to have a living and some people are really sick of this whole virtual thing and they can't wait to go to a conference. During the last couple of years, the comedy and entertainment industry took a huge hit because mm-hmm. people couldn't go to shows, nightclubs. Uh, they they were people were trying to do comedy over virtual Zoom calls, and that's really difficult because you can't hear the audience, and there's you lose your timing. Public speakers made an effort to try to do it, but they weren't able to connect with the audience. The good news is as things wind down and doors are reopened, people are desperate to get out, to be entertained, to interact, to engage. And now they have that opportunity. So that's the good news. I think good times are ahead. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. Because I'm noticing that there's a lot more conferences in the States that are beginning to come up. Um, Is it still pretty locked down in Canada? Oh, no, here, here, things are going better. And we're very excited. Yay. Besides the fundraiser, um, what other kind of events do you plan? Well, there's a, a couple things. I'm just sold my latest business and going into uh, full retirement as of Friday. And I'm working on a new project where I'm going to do a live comedy talk show mm-hmm. and then uh, videotape that for a video blog or video podcast and uh, be able to bring entertainers back to an audience. But I was just on the phone with three different professional comics today, and they're all really booked up, really busy. Some are back doing cruise ships. Uh, There's concert series back on the road. Nightclubs are reopening. At least in the U.S., there's that energy and excitement that, hey, we can go out and enjoy life again. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that here we've only got one comedy club left. Oh, geez. In Vancouver? Yeah, that's that's a, a big one. And it's very too. small. Yeah. It's oh. hard to find. Oh, wow. Well, that's too sad. We need to open Canada up to comedy. Maybe I should move there. Start producing some shows and bring some comedy to uh, town. Yeah. There is a lot of great comics that have come out of Canada. Yes. And it's sad to think that the last couple of years, and, and I think that's what the government wasn't really thoughtful about, is that they... In trying to save lives, which I understand was their responsibility, they also damaged business and especially small business. So many people were not able to survive, you know, two years where you have costs going out, but no money coming in. I mean, that's uh, it's just a scary time. In the first year, we had 10,000 restaurants close in Canada. Oh, geez. It's a it was a sad time, but let's hope good times are ahead. They are, you know, I mean, I, my life's better. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I tell you though, like COVID was actually a good thing because for me, not, not a good thing as in for the world, let's, let's get this straight. But when we went into shutdown, I didn't even realize it because I was so busy just concentrating on what I was doing. Cause I hyper-focus on work. I'm like, okay, so I can't leave my apartment. Best thing ever. Didn't have to talk to people, didn't have to see anyone, didn't have to deal with anything, had my groceries delivered. It was wonderful. Uh, yeah, all the agoraphobics loved it. Yeah. <laughs> We're not the weirdos. Everybody's like us now. 
Well, it is. Uh, it, I, I, I understood. I began to understand why my, my great my great aunt was a shut in. It's like this is good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it, it can be easy. I think that it will have a long term effect to society, and that those that liked working from home and those that preferred being shut in now have an excuse to stay that way, mm-hmm. and those that uh, want to get out are going to kind of explode and want to do everything. They're not going to want to go out once a month. They're going to want to go out once or twice a week to kind of recapture that the energy that you get from live entertainment or interacting with people and and sharing their lives with others. For example, uh, you know, from this point forward, there'll be a lot more Zoom meetings. There'll be a lot more uh, people working from home. It'll be more accepted. You go out, you know, it's, it's still rough in Canada, but down here they've dropped all the masks requirements. And yet there's people that are fearful and still wearing masks. And it's a personal choice. That's what I always thought from the get go is I didn't mind people wanting to wear a mask. What I didn't like was the government saying you had to, it should have been a personal choice. But of course, when it came to businesses, they set all the mandates and they're still having problems with uh, people on airlines. They still have the mask mandate in the planes. So people aren't flying. And so the Airlines are going, well, on the one side, we want to protect the the people, even though our air is recirculated every, you know, 15 minutes and it's really safe. And the, and the government's saying, well, yeah, but, you know, you got a bunch of people in a tube, you better mask them up. So, uh, you know, it's a yin and yang. There's uh, opinions on both sides. Yeah, yeah, I know it. We are in a time where I think tempers are running short. Well, they've lost their experience and how to engage with other humans. You know, that's one of the downsides of living by yourself for two years that you get out in public and you, you forget to open the door for a lady or that, that somebody else might have an opinion that's different than yours. Doesn't make it right or wrong. It's just we're all different. Yeah. And but there seems to be a lot more division, but and a lot more anger. And look what happened at the Oscars. <laughs> well, that uh, like, uh, was what? bad on several <laughs> levels. Yeah. And what's curious about that is that people tuned into the Oscars after the slap because they heard about it on social media that weren't watching previously. Yeah. It was going to be the lowest ratings in the history until that moment. And all of a sudden people wanted to watch. Well, if there's going to be death and mayhem, we'll watch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, because we don't want to miss out. Yeah. We don't want to yeah, miss yeah. out because you know what, maybe but the thing is, is okay, the slabs happen. He's not going to do it again. Um, you missed the moment by not showing yeah, and, up. And uh, I've heard a lot of different opinions of uh, Will Smith. You know, when he was upset, he probably should have just left the Oscars. That would have had a bigger statement without the violence. Uh, Chris Rock shouldn't have made the joke he made. And he took the slap well and kept doing his job. But that's like the show business must go on. But all in all, it was a bad sharing with the public and especially young people that might have been watching that violence was the answer and it shouldn't be you know that's that's the biggest takeaway is that there's so many ways to deal with people you don't agree with but getting physical isn't one that we should accept well what blew it was that not only did will smith was out of line and slapping or touching somebody over something he disagreed with right or wrong but then when he came up for his oscar they gave him a standing ovation it was kind of like so Hollywood is like, okay, we had a bully and now we're going to applaud him. So, and I know they were confused about how to deal with it, but uh, it it all looked bad. It was bad TV. Yeah, it was just a bad situation all the way around. But it, there is this 
short temper. Like people are, you're right. They don't know how to interact with people anymore. You say something, I'm going to get mad and I'm going to do something about it. It's, it's like we forgot social etiquette, you know, what's okay, right. what's not right. okay. They don't know how to be polite. And Canadians, we don't even say sorry anymore. <laughs> we used to hear it all the time. Don't hear it ever Canadians anymore. Canadians are the nicest people on the planet, eh? Hey, did you see what happened in Ottawa? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is kind of sad that Canadians, who have always been known as an easygoing group of people, this COVID thing and Trudeau have kind of pushed them to the brink. They they feel like they're living under, uh, I mean, this is just what I see from across the border, but they're reacting like we've we've got a dictator and the parliament's not involved it's just one guy making these decisions and it's just sad and scary when the people lose faith in the people they put into power yeah we don't have any many options how long is somebody like trudeau in in, in the until, until we tell him that he's not in anymore Oh, see, down here, it's every four years. At oh, least see, don't we tell get rid of the basket cases. Okay, here, just don't tell Trump, okay? Because okay. here in Canada, the way that our parliament's set up, the leader of the party, when they have a majority, is a dictator. We have elected dictators in Canada. Oh. So right now, he, he has a minority government, but he has this coalition government with, with Mr. TikTok guy, uh, Jagmeet Singh who is on TikTok and he's just as he's the third party leader. Two of them have come together. But what it is, is as long as the leader of the party has majority, he can put, he can put anything through that he wants. He can do anything that he wants because the party, we have this thing called a whip and they run around and tell the party that you have to vote the way that that he does. You have to do exactly what the leader says. What, how often do the people vote? The last time we voted, it was 18 months between elections. Oh, that's short. Yeah, but basically what happens is the the prime minister call an election within five years. Oh, okay. So he can call an election at any time within five years. He called a six-week election. And he called the election in the summertime. So he called the election beginning of August when most people are gone. And then people start coming around. But the election was at September 20th. Call this election. I'm going to get the majority and then I can do whatever the hell I want. Did he get it? No, he got the minority, but... It went back to him and Singh having this weird partnership. So he gets most of what he wants. Oh, man. Well, I don't know what the the future is for both of our countries. You guys have been on quite the roller coaster. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, uh, a lot of people didn't like Trump. I I didn't think he was a, a good guy as a man. But as a politician, what he did for the country was great. Lowest unemployment, numbers everywhere, strong borders, a good economy. Everything was great. You know, he was kind of an idiot, but everything was going well. Uh, he had the right ideas and just, you know, liked to spout off on Twitter too much. Compared to Biden, who doesn't do anything right and has taken us down this, we're in a recession, uh, the inflation's through the roof, the border's uh, wide open, World War III could start any minute. The fact that even 50% of the country voted for him, I feel like going, yeah, you got what you asked for. (laughs) Trudeau, I don't know enough about right or wrong, uh, just seems like a bit of a dictator. But here, we don't have a dictator, we just have... Uh, kind of a, a fool as a hood ornament, you know, the, the well, guy leading the parade. At least, you know, it's 50 percent, 30 per just over 30 percent elected Trudeau. Oh, I, I think I heard that, that he was able to get into power 
with only 30%. Mm-hmm. Why aren't the 70% rising up and saying no more dictator? Well, what do you think the whole convoy? <laughs> oh, that's what that was. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't know if that had the effect. Everybody down here was supporting the truckers, mostly because they were saying what everybody wanted to say. We didn't like what they were doing because it's so anti-Canadian. Oh, I mean how they were trying to get their voice done because it wasn't Canadian? Just not the Canadian way of doing things. As I said, it's a nice country with nice people that you rarely hear a disagreeable word about or out of Canada. And it was so shocking to hear how Trudeau was treating its his people and then how the people were reacting to it. I didn't agree with the convoy because, you know, freedom, this is Canada. You, it's pretty free here. OK, you didn't win the election. OK, but it, we got it pretty good here. But I'm against protests. Oh, okay. I don't like protests. I don't care what side you're on. Yeah, it uh, protesting can be a good vehicle to share a message, but most often it's misused or misappropriated for the wrong message and in the wrong way. If you're protesting, chances are you're not going to listen to the other side, and chances are the other side really doesn't want to hear from you. You're looking at the problem. You're not looking at the solution. Like where I live, I can see where the protests go by all the time. And one, like when the whole Israel thing was going down with Israel and Palestine, this is a good example, pro-Israel. Next day, pro-Palestine, pro-Trump. Okay, well, there goes the five people. (laughs) (laughs) The reason why Trump became your your president, everything to do with his personal brand. Everything to do with his personal brand. You guys were fed up with politicians, and here comes this guy with a strong personal brand. Yeah, and and not a politician. Not a politician, and he's got a strong personal brand. He says stupid crap, and people are like, yes, that's what I want. Even though we don't like him as a person, we can vote for him. But had it been some nobody, it wouldn't have been the same thing. You need to have that strong personal brand in order to create a following, whether you're trying to get votes or you're trying to get sales or you're trying to get a job. That following gives you credibility as a brand. Well, I was going to say that even those people that are protesting, in a way, they're trying to brand their idea. It's not a way that you and I would do, but they are trying to brand a a concept or idea. What's your recommendation? Get it coming out of COVID. What advice are you giving small business to brand and market themselves in this changed world? Well, it really depends on the business and where they're at, because some businesses, like I said, hey, it was great for me, but um, for restaurants, not so much. So once restaurants open up here fully, 100%, that story needs to be told. The ones that have come through, they've come through okay. You know, even though we're there at 50, 60% capacity, if if you're a speaker, if you're an entertainer, if you have an event, the big piece is you know what? It's safe. It's over. Come on out. We so use the change as a vehicle to bring your message to the people. Hey, it's uh, Bob's Pizza Parlor. Uh, things are better. We're open. Things are safe. It's time for a good pizza pie. Yep. Yep. Or if I have an event, it's like, you know what? We it, it, It's done. We have all these things in place. If you don't want to be here in person, that's okay. We've got the virtual for you. We'll do a hybrid for the first little bit to get people back into this and slowly bring people into where they feel comfortable. 
Right. So people so are going to feel comfortable uh, coming to the event and hugging and kissing everybody. Other people pe- may feel comfortable coming to the event, but, you know, being six feet apart. But then again, if you're Canadian, you're going six feet. That's too close. Back up, back up, back up. Okay, <laughs> we're all good. And, uh, and some still with masks. And some still with masks. Uh, if you're Asian, sorry, Asian people, that's not an Asian thing, but it's, you know, in Vancouver, we were, we were, co- we were used to seeing people with masks before people had to wear masks. It's the Asian it's community. Everyone in the Asian yeah, community. Yeah, I, I live in an Asian community here in Sacramento. And uh, um, for whatever reason, I know it's huge in Japan and China, but uh, they were wearing masks long before COVID. And they do and, it. You know, because, that was their personal choice. Yeah, they do it because when, they're, when they've got a cold or they've got a cough or they're feeling kind of ill, they put on a mask to protect people around them. That's why they do it. See, and if just us Americans could be that nice, but we're not. (laughs) Yeah, Canadians pretty much aren't anymore either. Uh, (laughs) Uh, We we, we just like to stay stay away. (laughs) Well, I'm sure that... Coffee stick light, coffee stick light. (laughs) Right, right. I'm sure you're going to find that your voice when it comes to branding and marketing will have extra value as we come out of this. COVID lockdown situation, and especially in Canada, it sounds a little slower, but over the next uh, six to 12 months, hopefully you'll get a chance to help people brand themselves and reinvigorate an audience. Well, I think a lot of people have been online and meeting, learning how to connect with people in the virtual world for the last two years. And as long as you've been connecting with people and creating an audience and finding different platforms. So when you've got your social media platform, you've got your brand awareness, right? You're doing your brand awareness. This is who I am. But things like podcasts, blogs, videos, uh, books, all those things that people were doing in that two years to get their voice out there, to get their message out there, to say, hey, this is what I'm about. And then people are like, oh, I want to know more about you. Okay, I'm going to read your book. Oh, okay, I'm going to listen to your podcast. Oh, okay, I'm going to listen to your blog. Then it's about, okay, now let's bring in this community. So we've really started to create community in the virtual world, which then when if you're a comedian or a speaker or an event planner, you go, okay, we're having this event now. Come on and see me because you've because you've built this community for the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be an interesting transition. And I think you're absolutely right that you have to take the relationships you built in the virtual world and in the uh, uh, social media world and now engage with them on a personal level. And I think that'll be healthy for everybody. Your online marketing is driven by your offline marketing, which is driven by your online marketing. It's not a one or. Right, right. Right. You, the proper way to network, if you meet somebody on LinkedIn, Facebook, whatever, is to take it to the next level. Hey, let's have a Zoom call. Let's let's chat just like I'm chatting with you. The best relationships I have made are because of this podcast. 100 and 100 days has been a, so much fun. That's <laughs> a big challenge. It's great. I even got a job offer. Awesome. Girl, they can't get a job. Wow. (laughs) Well, no, I I think that that's good that uh, you're getting a chance to uh, take what you've learned and the relationships you've built, what you've developed during these last challenging couple of years and have it turn into something, you know, kind of taking the crap as fertilizer and having something good count of it. I can now focus on creating market appeal as an authority site by sharing brand stories. It's a place where thought leaders and people who want to be known in their marketplace can come and write articles, become columnists, 
share their stories. It's a place where other people can come and find tips, ideas, and advice on how to create a appealing life, career, or business. Well, you end up being a hub for a positive aspect of life and in sharing all those positive stories so that other people can find what's positive in their life. Yeah, I know. And positive in me, just wow, what? <laughs> what what just happened? So what are you excited about now that everything's opening up? Because you're more open than we are, but. Well, for me, uh, it's more of a, uh, the transitional time is good because I, I've owned an insurance agency for the last 12 years. I just sold it. Uh, my last full-time day is Friday. And Woo-hoo! yes, uh, yay, what's, yay. Um, but what I'm doing is going to transition. Uh, I'm going to transition back to um, doing what I enjoy. So I, I was successful as a, an insurance broker and made a decent living, got some money when I sold the agency. So now I can go back to my true love, which is entertainment production. And whether it's going to, I mean, right now I'm focusing on a live stage show, but it could end up being TV or radio, uh, just an, uh, an additional podcast. My current podcast Stand-up comedy, your host and MC is an audio-only podcast where I interview professional comics and I share uh, comedy stand-up material from back in the 80s and 90s. It's all about a good time. It's all about fun. But if I do a live show, it'll be a video podcast and be a whole nother beast that I get to learn about and share with the public. And I think that's exciting. That is exciting. I know a lot of us ex-gens just love bring back the 80s, 90s comedy, because at least it was well, funny. My uh, podcast, uh, Stand Up Comedy, hosted MC, is exactly that. And what's interesting, Shannon, is that the material still works. Mm-hmm. You know, it was funny back in the 80s. It's still funny today. And, and my audience, at least my podcast audience, agrees that they're enjoying the humor, the comedy, and feeling good about it. What I hope to do with uh, through my website, uh, scottscomedystuff.com is to share not only the podcast and I have a video membership and I've got an online comedy course, but eventually, and like I said, I'm working on it right now, a live version of comedy entertainment. Uh, I'm doing it as a talk show version. Uh, I'm calling it the best seat in the house because I'm on this, I'm on the stage with the talent and uh, get to share uh, stand up comedy. Uh, from the famous and not so famous with a whole new audience. Everyone wants a reason to laugh. We have enough of the heavy stuff in our news. You know, oh, God, it's we all have enough heavy stuff in our lives. We need that lighthearted uh, thing that gives us energy and excites us and inspires us. When I was restarting my podcast, the latest uh, season of Mrs. Maisel yeah. came out and she was talking about having a voice and the voice. And I was like, oh yeah, okay. I gotta get on that podcast. You know, it's funny. It's, it makes you want to laugh. It's hilarious. Oh no, it's a great show. Everybody in your audience go out and watch the uh, amazing Mrs. Maisel, uh, the co-star Kevin Pollack, uh, uh, the, who plays the father-in-law used to work for me, very talented comic and a good actor in this show. The show brings out the whole situation what's interesting it's it's from like the 50s and 60s but it's it's meant to say that everybody has that voice that they want to share and whether it's on a comedy stage or running a business or 
or writing a book. Yeah, uh, yeah. The point is, is you're sharing your voice with the world and Miss Maisel's trying to find her way to do that. Like the whole thing starts off with the husband and the divorce. And as a divorcee, I got a lot of laughs out of that one. <laughs> <laughs> and what's a truism, Shannon, is that comedy mirrors life. Yeah. So just like life goes up and down like a roller coaster, it has its highs, it has its lows. Comedy finds a way to make fun of or poke at the down and the good so that everybody in the audience can see that we've all been in it together. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, right now I'm getting older, but what my challenge is and people in my age group is we're dealing with our aging parents and whether you put them in a home or do they pass away or do they come live with you and that's the biggest nightmare the thing is is uh, and that's what happened with my father you know you have to make fun of it you have to find the humor in it to help you deal with the negative aspects of it yeah. does that make sense totally you know, makes sense find the humor in the bad things yeah. it helps you get through it yeah because when i tell people i can tell you my I can tell you my story and you will have you in tears. Think I can tell you my story and have you think I'm absolutely pathetic. And I can tell you my story and have you laughing in stitches. It all depends on how I tell the story. Right, right. And what's better for you and the listener? Make it fun. Depends on the situation. <laughs> Well, I have what I'm trying to, to get anybody. out of the government. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I haven't tried to make anybody cry in a while, but it is true that uh, sharing your story in a humorous way. And that's what really what comics do. They're talking about life that we all and, you know, of course, they keep it mostly generic. They talk about uh, raising kids, being married, driving in a car, going in an airplane you know, going to a restaurant, because these are all things we do. But mm -hmm. that's what makes it relatable to the audience. And then what they do is they slip in some humorous personal touches. Mm -hmm. And that's what gets the audience laughing. Exactly. Well, I went to the I went to a comedy show last fall here, because I was like, I get out of the apartment. It wasn't funny. But oh. it's not that it wasn't funny. It wasn't funny to me. Because up on the stage is a millennial who's never been married, who doesn't have kids, who had a drug habit at one point, telling jokes. <laughs> Nothing you can relate to. I can't relate to it. It's well, not you got over that me. heroin problem, right? Yeah, I did. You know, I, I but I still have a reservation down on uh, downtown <laughs> Vancouver. Yeah, I keep a reservation at the local rehab just in case. Just in case. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, it got... is true that it is difficult for comedians to. Um, relate in this day. I was just talking to a comic earlier today about how difficult and challenging it can be because he's older, but he's still really, really funny. But relating to an audience, the younger audience, which is a little more woke, a little bit more sensitive, you know, it used to be you could pick out a guy with a goofy sweater and you know, hey, nice job shopping at Kmart or something. And everybody would kind of laugh along and the guy would laugh along because, you know, it was some gift from his mother-in-law and he doesn't care. But today there might be somebody across the room going, oh, well, somebody, you know, that's his sweater and you're picking on it. And then somebody else is thinking, well, some sheep had to be sheared to make that sweater. You shouldn't be picking on him. And I mean, it, there's all these different excuses. Or his spouse gets up on the stage and slaps you. <laughs> well, that's a little too real, but yes. And it, it's, 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 it's almost like anybody under 30 and I don't mean to pigeonhole it, but it's like, they have no sense of humor. It's under 40. Under 40 now. is it? Okay. Yeah. The millennials have grown up. Yeah. Well, 
it is a challenging time to say the least, but I'm going to give a, give it a shot in my talk show format and we will see. Um, Good thing about the talk show format. And here's another thing is that one, if I'm not, if I don't like it, I can turn it off. Right. Right. And by the way, if you don't like, you know, making fun of the world, don't go to a comedy show. If you're over, if you're overly sensitive and everything annoys you, don't go out in public. You know, you're the one that needs to stay in the room, right? Be COVID safe. Keep COVID your house safe. at home. Yes, yes. <laughs> Remember that old term? Take a chill pill and just stay out of everybody's way. <laughs> well, we, I mean, things have changed so much in our in comedy. And what used to be funny, you're right, we have to be careful. And all of a sudden, we, we can't talk about that anymore. But, but I mean, I, there's things that you can pick on that, are relatable to everybody and find the humor in it. And it's not meant to be mean. I mean, you can be, of course, you can uh, go after somebody and overdo it. Comedy sometimes can be taken too far as we've seen, but you know, Bobcat Goldthwait used to uh, push the limits. Don Rickles picked on everybody back in the sixties and seventies. Don Rickles was the, uh, the king of uh, personal attacks, but it was always meant, as a form of humor and people took it that way. Mm-hmm. And now I think there's people out there trying to make fun of the life, make fun of the world, make fun of our situation, but the audience may have changed and they're not taking it as a humoristic thing. They're taking it as a personal attack. Mm-hmm. So that's what frightens me. I think the comics are still doing the, are still doing the best they can to make it work, but the audience is not accepting it as comedy or as humor and that's what goes back to what you were saying shannon is that that comedy is is it's got a challenging time ahead of it well i think that's a lot of the times too and you've got some comedians their whole thing is making fun of themselves their own lives their spouses their own kids they're not talking about society in yeah, general. self-deprecation is a, is a is an easier way to make fun of situations without it, hopefully offending somebody in the audience because you're using yourself as the foil of the jokes, right? Yeah. That's so true, Shannon, good call. Because there's a lot of, but there are the ones out there that do push the limits and do go too far. And you have to really be a certain type of person to like their humor. Right, right. The ones I don't uh, engage with and, and try to avoid are the, uh, ones that are dirty for no reason. You know, I went to the freaking store to get some freaking bread because my freaking bitch wife told me to freaking, you know, it's like, that's not funny. It may get a titter from the audience because they're embarrassed for you or it's shock humor, but there's no comedy in it. There's no, no uh, thought process that uh, engages with the client. You're just using shock words. And uh, that annoys me to, to, to no end. Yeah, so there's a nuance to comedy. Oh, right. Definitely. And there's a lot of different kinds, just like you said, you know, Baskin Robbins has 31 flavors for a reason. Some people like dry humor. Some people like slapstick humor. Some people like straight monology. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwait certainly has a different delivery style than Jerry Seinfeld, but they both got their message across and got people laughing. So, uh, you know, Robin Williams is the easiest example of somebody that was fast paced machine gun style repertoire, he could pull out and make funny uh, comments about uh, so many different things so fast. And nobody has been like him before or since. And 
that was really exciting for people. People got caught up in his excitement of comedy. He loved stand-up comedy. I mean, he did it, you know, every night he could. And I've seen a lot of those videos of him doing stand-up. And it's hilarious. And yeah, he was live on my stage twice. And but when you think about amazing. the comedy back then, when he was doing comedy, Bill, um, Bill uh, Cosby was doing con- comedy on stage. It was family okay. Friendly. Family friendly, right? I can't tell you how many times my ex and I would argue because he would be sitting there watching some comedian with our kids right beside him, and it was completely inappropriate. For an adult, let alone for the kids. You have to be uh, aware of that. And, And I, as a producer, always tried to make sure, you know, every now and then I'd book what's called a blue comic, somebody that... You know, they weren't just dropping F-bombs, but they talked about sex or relationships in a more uh, sincere way that might be offensive. And so I would tell the audience before the show, hey, just want you to know this is a blue show. There's going to be topics and conversation that may make you uncomfortable. And if you are, we're happy to refund your money because we're not here to offend anybody. We're here to make sure everybody has a good time. Not every producer and very many, in fact, nobody on the Internet bothers to give the audience a heads up you kind of have to find out through uh um exploring and sampling and uh, too bad that it's that way but uh all part of the business i guess where do you see the business going like compared to where it was and where it is now what are we missing um did they throw away that they should really still have now freedom freedom of speech you know uh back in the 80s and 90s when comedy was on its rock and roll wave and was cresting and anybody and everybody thought they could be a stand-up comic and everybody got a shot on stage and everybody laughed to support whoever's trying to make them laugh. Um, There was the freedom to talk about what made you laugh, what was important to you and hopefully engage with the audience. And I think what we've gone through the last four or five years is this real restriction of the freedom of speech that well, you can't say that because you might annoy somebody or you might offend somebody. Of course, I say, you know, screw that somebody, the majority would enjoy it. I think majority should rule. But uh, a lot of people would argue that that it's the individual that's more important than the group. And I don't agree with that. But where it's going is, and I'm, I'm praying that this is the truth, Shannon, and I don't know if it is, but the pendulum has swung very far left. And they've cut off our freedom of speech. They've, they're not having a good time. Nobody's enjoying themselves. You're not supposed to drive. You're not supposed to do anything. You're supposed to sit in your homes and suck it up. And I think people are done with that. I think they're tired of that. And it's coming back. The pendulum's coming back to center. People want to get out. They want to have a good time. They want to go on a trip if they want to go on a trip. And despite the government and certain groups of people trying to control us and tell us what we can't do. I think the general masses, the the populace is going to say, no, I want to live my life, a free life and make the choices I want to make. And, you know, to heck with the rest of you and do what they want. And that means going to a comedy club or driving six hours so they could do something, things that, you know, they were all boohooing a few months ago those things are going to come back into vogue. And I, my prayers are, and my hopes and wishes are that uh, six months from now, 
or let's say 2023 will be a new uh, arising of all the art forms and sports and freedoms uh, to travel and to you know do what we want to do in our lives uh, because we all desperately need it. I think caging us and, and clamping down on us is not a joyful existence. I'm off my soapbox. That's okay. I'm just glad you're in Canada. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I said, six feet. That's too close. That's too close. Yeah. yeah. We want, inside, great. It's cold out. <laughs> 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 you know, but um, like the thing that I'm, that I'm thinking about is, okay, so now when you look back on the business of comedy and you look at the business of comedy today, what has happened that has made it better for comics? Well, I think that the internet has changed things. So back in the day, the only way somebody could try their humor or uh, get an audience was to get on stage, mm -hmm. was to do an open mic, get in front of strangers and try their stuff, uh, good or bad. You know, whether you bomb or whether you did well, you learn something from each stage experience. However, in this day and age with YouTube and social media, there's plenty of people that have, uh, in their minds, gotten famous from um, showcasing their stuff on YouTube or social media. You can find an audience for almost anything and everything through the internet. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's different, that if there's some kid who's you know 12 or 13 and he thinks he's funny or he wants to get into show business, he can play with it on YouTube and whether it's acting or comedy or juggling or magic, whatever it is, and see if there's an audience for what he does. And he can practice really in the security of his own room. Um, and I think that's an advantage. Uh, is it reality? Mm, not really. It's You still got to get in front of strangers. You still want to get live because it's that live interaction. See, it's one thing th that's great. You mentioned that Shannon, because if you're, you know, a, a magician and you're practicing at home and then you put up your phone and you shoot it and you put it on YouTube and you go, look there, I'm a magician. What well, you still can't see or hear any interaction from the audience. So that same magician goes up in front of a live stage and everybody points and goes, we can see the rabbit or we could see that you drop that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a different experience. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a yin and a yang. Like we talked about before is that, yeah, there's more opportunities to find an audience thanks to the internet, but a real audience, a true audience, one where there's honesty mm -hmm. from a, from an audience has to happen in a live scenario. You make a good point there because, you know, we've had two years of virtual and speakers and comics have tried to do the virtual thing. I'm not sure about you, but when you're in a meeting, networking meeting, and there's all of these people and someone's speaking and you scroll through to see what people are doing and they're on their phones, they're typing away, they're <laughs> looking up. They're not engaged. Stuff. They're not listening. They're just there. And it's like, okay, wait a minute here. You still will get out of this what you put in. So why even bother showing up yeah, if you're not willing crazy. to pay attention? Yeah, but trust me, if that public speaker wore a red nose or had a funny hat or it's was juggling be. while he's talking, people might watch a little bit longer. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think people are so. It's crazy world. 
I'm probably the last person to ask <laughs> what I think <laughs> people about people and what it is and what it's not. But, you know, I have loved talking with you. This has been so interesting and I've laughed my head off because if my ex, he, whenever he would make me laugh, he would write it on the calendar because it's like, oh, Shannon actually laughed. Because the thing is, is I don't have a sense of humor. That was the whole joke in the whole family is I didn't have a sense of oh, humor. Oh, oh. Yeah. 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 So so he was he was making sure that he got some acceptance of his uh material from you, the hard case. Well, yeah, because you know, <laughs> I just didn't find it funny. But then again, I didn't really find John Jim Carrey funny either. Ah. Um, I'm a good Canadian girl. We've got to be some wit in there, man. Well, um, I appreciate being on your show. I hope that your listeners get something out of it. And I hope things uh, loosen up and get a little bit better up in Canada. And if it does, maybe we'll uh, bring our live talk show up there to entertain. I think that would be great because we need it. We need some laughter here. As I said, we're down to one tiny, small, little comedy club. Uh, Yuck Yucks is gone, you know. Um, oh, wow. I didn't know that. In, in Vancouver. I don't know about in Montreal because Montreal is still the comic central of Canada. But yeah, yeah, they're, they're a celebration, but that was shut down the last couple of years. So it's going to be interesting if they can bring that back yeah. and make it the important um, part of the industry. It always has been. Yeah, it's I was in Montreal when my first time in Montreal, I was there for uh, during the, the that festival as well. And yeah, it's a big part of Canadian culture. The thing is, is when you're over here in BC, you don't really realize that because you know, it's way over there, <laughs> yeah. way over there, it's and like it's French. <laughs> and to all you yeah. Americans, most Canadians don't speak French. <laughs> well, it's probably a good thing because most of us don't either. Uh, well, anyway, well, good luck with your uh, podcast, uh, Brand Appeal, and yes. keep sharing your um, <clears throat> lessons on marketing and branding because whether you're owning a small business running a podcast, or just yourself. It's important to be branded so that people un understand the product you're presenting. Exactly. And before I go, can I just ask you one more time? I know you said it before, but I really want to hear it again. What, where can we find you? So ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you'd like an opportunity to laugh and enjoy yourself, go to the podcast, Stand Up Comedy, your host and MC. And if you're looking for a little bit more and want to see some pictures of some of the famous celebrities I've had a chance to work with, go to my website, standupcomedyhostandmc.com or scottscomedystuff.com. There's two of them. And that one has an online comedy course and some video membership sites where you can see the famous and not so famous perform. Oh, love it. And I love your radio voice. You've got the right voice for a podcast. <laughs> oh, thanks so much, Shannon. Thanks so much. And good luck with everything. You too. Listener, I apologize for this episode being so long, but come on. It was entertaining, wasn't it? I had a hard time trying to find more to edit out. And I edited out quite a bit. The conversation I had with Scott was so interesting. It went on for two hours. If you would like more of this type of conversation, please head over to marketappeal.com. Go into the community and let me know what you thought of today's episode, other episodes, which guests you would like me to have back on the show and what topics you would like me to dig deep and find you answers to. 
Don't forget, Market Appeal membership is free and it does include access to courses, challenges, other platforms, everything that you need in order to create an appealing life, career, or business. So drop by marketappeal.com today and just click that community button and become a community member. Until next time, peel out. Thank you.